From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. Though the swamp sits dormant for most of the spring, every year it comes alive for one weekend in April. That time is now, as the orange and blue game is set to draw huge crowds looking to get their first glimpse of the Dan Mullen era. On today's show, we'll delve into the details of the scrimmage, discuss Steve Spurrier's unconventional foray back into coaching, learn about Mike White's new assistant, and more in our roundtable conversation with FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry. Plus, we'll chat with one of the new faces of DBU, sophomore Brian Edwards. But first, expectations are no doubt higher than usual for the spring game because of the promise of something fresh and exciting with a new coaching staff. And while everyone likely has their own ideas of what they want to see in the swamp, we began our roundtable with Scott and Chris asking what they likely will see on Saturday. You know, on the field, spring games, uh, I've always thought that if they're done well, it's an offensive showcase. It gives fans a chance to get excited about the offensive playmakers, gives those guys in a big setting in front of fans, some of them the first time, you know, a chance to go out and and show their skills. And, you know, in in Florida's specific case this year, um, you know, quarterbacks are going to be watched uh, closely. Uh, you want to see some of the newcomers, you know, what's Emory Jones look like? Uh, what's Damian Pierce? Uh, what, what What's his ability or impact in the first season? There's some of those guys on defense, too. But at the end of the day, Adam, I think, you know, as people leave the stadium after the spring game, I think if it goes well, what they'll do is they'll just be excited to come back. And I think that's what the number one mission uh, for Dan Mullen has been. I think from the coach's standpoint, what they would like to see Adam is a progression from obviously from day one, but also from scrimmage one then scrimmage two. And then this would of course be scrimmage three in essence, a dress rehearsal in front of the fans in the stands. I think Scott talked about last week in the, in the open scrimmage that started things off. Uh, there was some sloppiness, particularly on offense. Um, I think some things got a little bit better with the second scrimmage, which was closed. Felipe Franks had, some pretty good downfield plays and had some had some runs that were pretty good. Kyle Trask had his moments as well. But uh, as you might expect, the defense is well ahead of the offense. The offensive line is still is still a work in progress. And again, this is, uh, I, I just said this. I'll say it again. We, we spoke about it last week. The uh, given the amount of veterans on that offensive line, they probably need to be a little bit uh, further ahead. Maybe it's a matter of trying to grasp the new offensive concepts or what have you. But I imagine that the, defensively, the Gators will line up you know, pretty straightforward and allow the offense to do some things, if anything else, maybe a confidence boost. But um, in terms of staying on sides, uh, executing your assignment, blocking the guy in front of you, I think what the coaches really like to see is uh, some progression from that from that unit up front of, on the offense line. I think defensively, the more I, the more I think about this defense, you, so many players on the defensive line, some good guys on the linebacking core, and of course, uh, uh, returning guys in the in the secondary, whether it's Chauncey Gardner or Marco Wilson, um, the Gators have pretty solid foundation on that side of the ball. Now it's a matter of that offense catching up to the defense. It's certainly not going to happen overnight, but that's what Dan Mullen was hired for. 
and uh, the Gator fans will get to see uh, where that stands right now, but certainly won't be where it stands, I would imagine, uh, come September when the Gators open the season. Yeah, we could go uh, position group by position group, but really, we know what people are going to be looking at. They're going to want to see what the quarterbacks can do. And I think specifically, it's not even Emory Jones necessarily. I think Felipe Franks is such a big part of this because he was so polarizing as a freshman with his performance on the field. And I think there's a lot of people that have heard what he's done so far under Mullen. They're curious to see if he can really be a different player in year two with a new coaching staff. So what are your expectations for what that will look like as far as that progression on Saturday? Adam, this is always uh, the hot topic. I went on a radio show this morning and the guy was quizzing me, why should a Florida fan be excited about the quarterback situation when, you know, Felipe Franks is the only one who has played and it's kind of the old storyline. But I mean, that's, that's Dan Mullen. Uh, you look at his past, he's always had good quarterbacks. Uh, he, he came here as a guy who's developed quarterbacks. He he obviously developed quarterbacks while he was at Florida, then went on to Mississippi State and did it. And it, it, it's too early to know how much impact his coaching and Brian Johnson, the uh, quarterback's coach, how much their impact will be on Felipe Franks or Kyle Trask or Emory Jones or Jake Allen. We just don't know yet. There hasn't been enough time. But you can't disregard that either because he's one with different kind of quarterbacks uh, and they've been efficient. They've done what he's wanted to do in their offense. And uh, some of them have really had excellent careers. Uh, obviously, the two that get mentioned the most, like, well, three, I guess you'd think Alex Smith and Dak Prescott on the NFL level and, of course, at Florida, Tim Tebow. But, you know, he, he's had other guys and. Chris Leak. Let's not discount Chris Leak. Yeah, I mean, Chris Leak, you're right. Yeah, he had, what, two years he yeah. was at Florida. They had Chris Leak. And the, so, I mean, he's he's had success. And the history with Felipe Franks and the rest of this group is just so young. There's no reason to think that Felipe Franks can't improve uh, with some good coaching. At the same time, ultimately, it's going to be about him going out and producing. And, and I, I don't think we're going to find out any major answers on Saturday. But by the time fall camp ends and that first game rolls around, We'll know a lot more and uh, and where exactly Dan Mullen's uh, thinking is in that race. It's the age-old thing, Adam. I mean, the, isn't the most popular guy on the team the, the backup quarterback? So sure. people with um who watched the Gators last year, they saw Felipe Franks operating an offense that, I'm going to quote the number here, Scott, 116th overall in the country out of 127 teams. Sounds uh, right yeah, in the neighborhood. I'm right, yeah, so that's what they're going on. But uh, just to emphasize, I mean, that was in a completely different system. And to Scott's point, uh, Dan Mullen is, has uh, uh, produced really, really good and productive quarterbacks. I don't think it's a, probably a, a coincidence that the year he went to Mississippi State was the first year this whole quarterback spiral kind of started here at Florida. So let's give Felipe Franks at least the benefit of the doubt. He deserves that in a new system. Now, I think one a fair question is, you know, you look at him by definition, he's a, he came here as a pocket quarterback and here comes Dan Mullen, whose reputation is with the spread offense. So yeah, the questions about that and what have you, but I think we've seen, we've seen that Felipe Franks can move around a little bit. Hell, I remember that 75 yard run he had last year against Texas A&M was one of the best plays in a really tough offensive year in the swamp last year for this Florida offense, but let's see what he can do. We Kyle Trask, I think is more, um, might be a more natural runner. I think, and the only thing Gator fans have seen of Kyle Trask has been in spring games. Two years ago, he was not good at all. Uh, last year, I imagine he's mediocre. People, the fans have seen him a little bit during practice. So, you know, he has he has skill set. He hadn't played a lot of football. We all know the story. He didn't start in high school. 
it was a guy ahead of him that went to a major division one program and Kyle Trask ended, ended up here. So um, I don't think Emory Jones is, is really in the conversation because he's not a, you know, maybe for a, uh, in some wildcat and some packages like that or what have you, because he hasn't proved to be a very accurate passer yet. He's a work in progress. He was just playing high school a few months ago. So this will be about those two guys, Felipe Franks and Kyle Trask. And after April 14th, it's not going to matter because there's still going to be a months of off season work to do with these guys. And uh, we'll see what happens after that. I guess from where you guys stand, what do you think ultimately needs to happen for this game to be considered a success for Dan Mullen and his staff? Well, how many times do people leave spring game and just say, that was an abomination? You know, it just, it, it just doesn't happen that much. <laughs> because people have perspective, I would think, when it comes to spring. They're not coming to see like a up and down shootout. I mean, I've been to spring games that were ugly. I've been to spring games that ended on the last play of the game. I'll be honest, I was at the spring game in 1990 in uh, up in Jacksonville while the turf here was being replaced. Steve Spurrier's first spring game. And it was a five-horse quarterback race uh, between Kyle Morris, Shane Matthews, who no one ever heard of, even fifth string the year before, uh, uh, Brian Fox, uh, Lex Smith, Lex. and Donald Douglas, who ended up transferring to Houston. And that was as intriguing a spring game as I can ever remember because Spurrier, he had basically said it was Kyle Morris's job and his job to lose. And what did he do? He went out and lost that day, threw four interceptions. Shane Matthews went out there and I think threw for 150 yards and three touchdowns without a turnover. So things can change and things can happen. But um, that was a long time ago. And maybe something weird could happen where, uh, where people were leaving going, man, Kyle Trask, he looks like the guy. But it matters what Dan, what Dan Mullen says. And uh, you asked what it takes to be uh, to be successful. I think I think to Scott's point originally, Dan Mullen's been on a crusade to get the juice back with this football program. And it needs it. It needs, uh, frankly, it needs a likability uh, element to it after what's gone on the last few years. And uh, he's trying to get the trust and the faith of the fan base back. I think he's done a, a really, really good job with that getting out and mingling with the people he has, whether it's going to dormitories or going to sorority houses, fraternity houses, and going on these um, booster caravans and meeting people. And I think people are genuinely excited about the direction of the program and the spring game is obviously the next natural step. He had owned pretty much most of the points I would have, uh, Adam. I think, you know, what's going to determine a good spring game, you're just a good crowd. No one gets hurt. You know, everybody has some fun. Uh, it's very simple. I mean, there's there's no magic formula. Like Chris said, there's so many different types of spring games, different situations. But in this one, Dan Mullen's a story he has been for the past few months. And guess what? The story's going to start shifting toward those players that you're going to see Saturday by fall, because that's when we're going to really learn a lot more about them. And uh, you know, I I was wrote something the other day just about Mullen. You know, his first spring game here was in 2005 when he was offensive coordinator for Urban Meyer first year. And the quarterback who had the best day that day was a guy named Josh Portis. He was 17 years old, (laughs) passed for four touchdowns, threw for 253 yards that day. I remember that. And, uh, you know, I think that that was by far his best day ever in a Florida Gator uniform. And he was quickly out the door not long after that. So, Again, you can't take too much out of this. Felipe Franks goes out and throws for 350 yards and five touchdowns. That's a good sign. If he goes out and throws for five interceptions, people are going to be fretting. But again, it really won't matter until that first game. 
So that sets the stage for the orange and blue game. And again, we'll be back next week to talk about it more. But I want to switch gears here to talk about spring football next year. We found out that Steve Spurrier is going to be participating in uh, one of these new leagues. This is apparently a a new thing that's popping up. We talked about the XFL a few weeks ago. Now we've got another spring football league that's starting a year before that. And we talked to Coach Spurrier last year on episode 91, which people should check out if they missed, really in-depth and talked about his whole career. But in doing that, he said coaching was done for him. Well, this isn't exactly something anyone would have expected a year ago at this time, but uh, I guess tell us about this new opportunity for Coach Spurrier and and what it means for him as the ambassador for the Gators. Well, it means uh, another chance for him to, you know, dip his foot into coaching, which we all know he loves. Uh, For the Gators, you know, Scott Strickland, had a quote the other day when the news broke that, you know, he's going to basically take a, a leave of absence in the spring uh, w- when it's kind of slows down for him anyway. And uh, he'll go down and coach that Orlando franchise in this newly formed league that starts in uh, February of 2019. It's going to be eight teams, a chain game regular season. His team's going to play at UCF Stadium and uh, he'll get out there and start looking for players and coaches. He was uh, shuffling through uh, a stack of resumes already on his office desk yesterday. So, you know, he's, he's thinking about that already, but for him, you know, like I said, Adam, it's a chance for him to really do what he loves, but also it's a good move by the American Alliance or Alliance of American football, because right away, their first official coaching hire is one of the biggest names in the, in football. And, uh, he's got, uh, Name recognition in the state, obviously, the uh, home games that his franchise is Orlando. So uh, he's got a natural fan base there. And, you know, I don't know if you saw, he's already uh, made a call to Tim Tebow. That's right. Uh, so he's out there working it. I don't know if T- Tim Tebow will ever play uh, for him, but that would certainly be something that I would expect to get a few Gator fans in the seat. But but it'll be interesting to see how it takes off because, uh, like I said, it's another another football league and. uh Another chance. I just remember Chris, his days. He, he's he's gone down this road before. Tampa Bay Bandits were a sensation back in the eighties, uh, before Adam was born. They were more popular than the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I was I was there for that, and that that was a very fun league. Uh, if not like uh, some things that ended up being ill conceived about it, but it's it's spring football, and um, candidly, I I'm not sure we need more football. Uh, but this is something they're they're going to try to make it a developmental kind of thing. They say they have a G League, so, uh, the NBA. So this will be a thing for guys that are trying to have a second chance to kind of show what they're capable of doing. Spurrier, obviously, the first name they tried it out. We've since heard that Rick Neuheisel is going to be one of the coaches. Mm. Uh, Jim Mora, I uh, believe, if he hasn't been announced already, is going to pop up. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if some guys like, let's say, Mike March, they're going a little down the – down the Jurassic Park era a little Mar- bit. Marv Levy? Marv Mar- 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 Levy might be on the thing. I don't know. I don't, I don't actually know about that. But I do think um, Steve made it quite clear, and Scott will know the exact quote. Just having sat around here the last couple of years and watching the offense around here, what was his quote on the Paul Feinbaum show? Uh, you know, you just said watching the Gators offense for the last couple of years made him want to get back into coaching. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's a classic HBC quote there, but also one that, uh, you know, it's, it's telling in a way and uh, one that it'll be interesting to see what he does down there with the kind of offense because uh, I would imagine uh, he'll, he'll be creative. We'll wait and see how the uh, the Alliance of American Football works out for Coach Spurrier and others. Uh, what we know right now is that the Gator men's basketball program is humming along, although they did have to fill a spot 
with the departure of Dusty May to go be the head coach at FAU. And they did that this past week. So, Chris, tell us about the newest assistant on Mike White's staff. Well, the Gators have hired Armin Gates. He's a, uh, he was an assistant coach at Northwestern for the last five seasons. Before that, he was at Loyola Chicago. He was a shooting guard at Kent State and a teammate of current uh, UF assistant coach Jordan Mincy. So those two will have a, a reunion of some type. But the other assistant coach on team, Darius Nichols, is very familiar with Armon and likes him a bunch. Uh, Mike White is really excited about this staff and the enthusiasm of the staff. And um, I think the there was a lot of speculation, um, curious speculation, that Mike White was going to go out and try to find a, a older uh, veteran head coach. Um, I think what he was trying to do is just find the best guy. And uh, this is a name that kept popping up for him when he was doing his uh, his research. He was aware of him. And I think it's it's worth pointing out also he, he was at Northwestern. So, you know, Northwestern never made the NCAA basketball tournament until the 2017 season. So he was part of that staff that fielded the first. That, that was a big deal when Northwestern made the NCAA tournament for the first time. So he recruited a handful of those guys on that team. He is also having been at Northwestern has worked as at a you know, had to deal with some, probably some, but been hand, hand strung a little bit in terms of, you know, getting guys that, that can come in academically. So he's used to that, which is a little different here uh, at Florida relative to the rest of the Southeastern Conference. So he's, he's dealt with those pitfalls before. And um, while he's, uh, he hasn't had his first day on the floor with these guys, uh, people are excited about it. And I'm looking forward to, to getting to meet him, which I have not done yet. And maybe being able to tell you a little bit more about it when he's out there and doing some individual instruction and working on some off-season practices with these guys. Okay, well, yeah, one thing that I did notice about uh, Armand Gates that caught my attention was his brother, I think Dennis, is on the uh, FSU staff. So uh, a little different twist to that Florida State-Florida rivalry. Uh, two brothers who have been in the business for a while now coaching against each other and uh, obviously recruiting against each other, which uh, – uh, will be interesting to see, but uh, adds a, just a uh, like I said, a new little twist to the robbery. His brother tweeted uh, the night that Armand was hired. He goes, "Today's the only day of my life that I will be a Gator fan." Congrats <laughs> to my little bro. <laughs> uh, there'll be some kind of a sibling little thing going on, but that's certainly a. Uh, I, I can see that being a story next year when those two teams play um, Florida State. Obviously, that's that'll be a big game, it's regardless of the of two brothers going at it. You're talking about Florida State coming off its Elite Eight performance and you know a year after Florida went to the elite eight and um, there's a twist to that game actually that uh, we'll learn a little bit more about as the offseason progresses but um, don't want to give too much but I'm going to tease it a little bit the Florida Florida State will have a, a little bit of more juice to it next year for a particular reason and I'll let fans kind of stew on that and try to figure out why. You know, speaking of Florida Florida State great transition there thank you for the segue Scott. Uh, baseball Florida, Florida State baseball has become a one-sided affair. And as much as Florida State has been a dominant program over the decades, uh, Mike Martin may want to retire just so we can stop playing Kevin O'Sullivan because that's two straight years the Gators have swept Florida State eight in a row. And going back bigger picture than that, I believe 18 of 21, this has become a, a really one-sided rivalry. Yeah, Adam, I mean, there's some uh, you can easily argue that right now is kind of the uh, golden age of Florida baseball in the two biggest rivalries in its history. When you talk about Florida State and Miami, those two uh, rivalries have totally turned in Florida's favor under Kevin O'Sullivan. And he's getting players, obviously, uh, he's filling that pipeline each year with uh, a lot of players who maybe in past years might have uh, 
you know, spent some time down in Miami or Tallahassee. He's getting them to Gainesville and showing up on the uh, on the field. And uh, Tuesday over in Tallahassee, Florida got good production from uh, J.J. Schwartz and some other guys. And they're just they're rolling right now, Adam. They, they went up to Tennessee and uh, won two or three, won the first two games to run their winning streak to nine, lost on Sunday the second game of a doubleheader, but quickly bounced back with that victory uh, over the Seminoles. And now they come home and get ready for a three-game series against Missouri and uh, sitting atop the polls, playing very well. Of course, Jonathan India, a 20-game hitting streak. The pitching's excellent. Uh, they're doing everything they need to to get back to Omaha and have a chance at another title, and uh, that's just where the program is right now. Yeah, baseball, number one in the SEC, number one in the country. Softball, also number one in the SEC. They'll be at home this weekend as well, coming off of a, a big series victory at Alabama, one they really had to gut out there in that third game. And in the process of doing so, Tim Walton wins his 700th game as well. So, you know, while we talk about baseball, softball, just step for step, also doing historical things that people are going to remember for a long time. Well, uh, I think we talked last week about how that was the – that Alabama um, series was a rematch of last year's Super Regional. Went down to the last inning. Florida won uh, uh, in three games to make it back to uh, OKC. Um, it's funny that Mary Wise had, what, number 900, Scott? Yeah, I think that's right. Okay, and here's uh, uh, Tim Walton has number 700. I saw tennis. Brian Shelton just had his 100th win here at, uh, at Florida since he's been here the last uh, five seasons, I think. So uh, a lot of milestones being touched. Um, this season, as far as Florida coaches are concerned, and um, good for them. Uh, I, I can mention Mike White became the winningest coach after three years in, in Florida history. So uh, it's it's no surprise that the coaches here, the achievements that they're able, able to pile up, you kind of just say, oh, okay, there's another thing for Tim Walton because what he's accomplished, obviously, is phenomenal. Gators are back in first place in the Southeastern Conference. Big series this weekend, Adam. Uh, South Carolina coming in, probably a program that, Someone on the rise, maybe uh, no one saw coming a little bit to be threatening in the league, but uh, that's that's where the Gators stand right now, and um, I think we're all used to seeing this. Here it is in mid-April, heading toward May, and Florida's in the conversation uh, to go not only just to obviously host a regional, but perhaps win the SEC, host a regional, and you know we know where they all want to be come uh, late May. Yeah, and you give them credit, too, because they got shellacked up at Georgia, and a lot of people thought maybe they weren't going to be elite in the SEC, and they've responded uh, really nicely since then. So we'll see what they do this weekend against that upstart South Carolina program, and again, we'll talk about that next week. Right now, let's wrap things up with our PAT, which is inspired by uh, a confession that I have to make. I was roped in to watching WrestleMania with a couple of friends this weekend. Now, I was a wrestling fan 20 years ago, back in the day. I had not watched since then, but, uh, you know, it's kind of a spectacle. I said, whatever, I'll, I'll buy into it. I'll, I'll spend a few hours doing this. Won't kill me. Uh, it's ridiculous in case you don't watch it or don't know about it. My question, though, and what I think is interesting is the way that WrestleMania and the WWE in general is covered by the mainstream sports media as a sporting event. Now, I don't want to spoil this for anyone who doesn't know this, but it, the results are fixed. It is not a real competition. So that's always made me feel like maybe hey, they look, you go back and say what you just said. I'm sorry, Scott. I, I know I should have put a, a disclaimer on that for people uh, who are still in the dark on it. Um, but yes, that is in fact the truth. So my question is for you guys as members of the mainstream sports media, do you think that professional wrestling should be covered 
on SportsCenter? I mean, should it be written about on the same, you know, on the same page that's got baseball scores from that night? This is a, this is going to be one of the shortest PATs in our 124 broadcast. Um, the answer is no. As a as a native of Washington, I always look up the Washington Post and damn if uh, uh, Wednesday morning if I didn't go to the sports site and see the results of a I don't know if it was WrestleMania 1700 or what the hell it was called, but <laughs> I guess Ronda Ronda Rousey's in it, right? So that's that's legitimized. Yeah. So well, it, it at least makes it clickbait. Yeah. And that's really what we're talking about here. Um, I've never liked wrestling. Because I'd rather go to a, a play if I'm going to see something that's choreographed. So uh, it doesn't do anything for me. I actually did have to uh, cover one one time when I was at the Tampa Tribune. When really? Hulk, yeah, Hulk Hogan made his homecoming. Came back to Tampa for a big deal at the Sun Dome. There were freaking 10,000 people there. So, yes, it was rocking. And all the maniacs in there were screaming. And um, it's an atrocity that we should have to cover it. But uh, I think that says a lot about uh, where we're headed in terms of um, – what we're looking for and how we're trying to absorb content. It's something that gets a lot of clicks. So uh, coming soon, can you imagine Tim Tebow in WrestleMania? <laughs> that would be huge. And Okay, now Chris and I, sometimes we agree on these. I can't wait for you guys to disagree about something. Is well, it about to I, happen? Here's my take. And Adam, you, of all your PAT questions that you've asked, this one is, I feel like maybe I'm most qualified to answer this because... <laughs> Tuesday night, I watched the premiere of Andre the Giants, a documentary on HBO. Yes. And I'm of the age when I do remember Andre Giant being the eighth wonder of the world. And he was a freak show. And it was it was kind of interesting to see how wrestling treated him back then. They knew they couldn't run him out night after night at the same place. So they would ship him all over these regional wrestling sites. And it was just fascinating to see how it worked. But then again, like Chris said, WWE it blossomed into this national thing. And here we are, you're asking the question about, are we to that point in sports history, American history, wrestling history, where events like WWE should be written about no different than Major League Baseball or the NBA? I'm not quite to that point, but I had a conversation exactly with the radio host yesterday about this topic because he had just gotten back from Chicago at some sports conference and he said his pe- he actually starts talking about wrestling now because his people react to it on the air. <laughs> now, I don't think we're going to start writing about wrestling here on FloridaGators.com. <laughs> if we do, I think Chris is probably going to. It's going to be Tebow. It needs to be Tebow. It, it, it will be a Tebow, and, and Chris will probably handle that beat for us. I think Chris will resign <laughs> at that point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he has experience. I don't. I only watch documentaries about Andre Giants, so he, he's a proven veteran. But you know, it's a. It's interesting. It's just, again, it's part of our uh, whatever gets clicks. And you know what? That means more people are going to write about wrestling on the Internet. I just know I was sitting in an office, Tampa Tribune office in 1986. It was actually a, one of the old like the old phones that would light up. You hit the button or something, and the secretary is telling you, say, Chris, Hulk Hogan on line two. <laughs> I got this. Hulk Hogan returning your call. You know, so, uh, yeah, I, I've, I've written just about everything over the course of a very – lengthy career or whatever, but uh, no, I don't think we should be covering it. Boy, if, if this gets Chris's blood boiling, I can't wait for a future PAT when this eSports thing becomes even bigger and writer, sports writers are covering people playing video games. That'll really set him over the top. Uh, but for now, we'll keep him focused uh, where he belongs. That is at the Swamp this weekend, 
covering the orange and blue game from all angles, along with Scott. Make sure to follow them at Gators Scott, at Gators Chris, and check out the uh, flurry of content they'll be posting on FloridaGators.com. Gentlemen, thank you so much. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you, Adam. Thanks, Adam. If you're able to peel your eyes away from the quarterbacks on Saturday, you're likely to see some new faces in the defensive backfield vying to be the next star for DBU. One of those is sophomore Brian Edwards, an overwhelmingly positive force in the locker room who's hoping to take his freshman reps on special teams and convert them into a role at cornerback. We had a fun chat with Brian that began by finding out how he and his teammates are feeling about their chance to get on the field this weekend. Oh, man, we really excited, you know, especially to have a new coaching staff and, um, you know, some new some new faces around like Van Jefferson and Trey Grimes. We know that, you know, it's going to be a lot of intensity in the stadium coming this weekend. And with the new coaching staff, I know a lot of guys are trying to prove themselves. So I guess talk about that because, you know, positions aren't being decided now, but there's still mm-hmm. an opportunity to make a real impression before you go into the break. Right, right, right. And that's correct. You know, all the coaches are, you know, looking at us and, you know, really trying to see which players for what position, you know, really just studying each player, making sure that each player is in that right position that they are in, you know, just seeing which player is going to make an impact this year. Through the scrimmages that you've had so far and, and through the practices, what do you feel like has gone well for the DBs and what areas do you think improvement needs to be seen? Oh, man, we're doing real good in, uh, in, in everything, especially for young. Uh, most of us played last year. You know, we came back hard this year. But one thing that we do need to improve on is just learning, learning the scheme more, you know, learning the coverages more. But uh, other than that, you know, we're down packed, getting it together. And, you know, as one unit, we're going to be great. We'll bring things back to football in just a few minutes. But I want to take things back for you and talk about where you came from, where you grew up. So can you tell us about your family and uh, life down in South Florida? Oh, yeah, definitely. I could tell, you know, I grew up with a single parent mom, hard work. And, uh, you know, she took me to the park each and every day to get me where I'm at. I did track, football, basketball. I did a lot of stuff. So, you know, that was a hard work later to take me to all those things. She had about two jobs and uh, grew up in the house with my sister and her older brother. That was a role model to me. So he's in the Marines right now over east. Right now, he's in, uh, he's based in California. So that was a guy that really, you know, stepped it up and, you know, really been a, more, uh, a role model in my life. Was he an athlete as well, or were you really the athlete in the family? Nah, well, right now I'm the athlete in the family, but he did play football in high school, played the same position corner, so uh, it motivated me as well to go you know, go ahead and play that position because he didn't get to play it on the next level like I am here. Well, you mentioned track. I know you were a really, really big track star in high school as well in addition to football. Which one of those came first? Which one was your first love, football or track? Oh, you know, football was my first love, man, I especially playing it at the age of five. But uh, coming into uh, middle school, I was known for the high jumper, you know, just going up there, getting over that ball. So going into high school, I loved doing it. The highest I went was seven foot. So, mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, I, I fell in love with it a little bit. But, you know, football took my heart. That was my first love. <laughs> How much do you miss track now that you're not able to compete in track? Uh, I do miss it a little bit. You know, it was fun going and competing with those guys. But... You know, football is just, you know, it's just taking all my attention and, you know, it's really helping me grow as a man. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really in love with football. I don't miss it as much, but I will go back to it. But, no, nah, I'm, I'm really, on, you know, into football right now. So what ultimately led you to football? I mean, why was that the choice to focus on football and make that your path going forward? Oh, my dream. You know, my dream is to uh, play in the NFL and, you know, one day be able to set a goal for, for the other people in my family that's coming up that's playing football as well. So, 
you know, this is be my dream thing to do. So that's why I just really want to lock in and, you know, just really, you know, really get to that dream that I wanted to accomplish. And there were a lot of people that wanted you during the recruiting process. I know at one point you were committed to Louisville. Then you were mm-hmm. seriously considering Miami and then ultimately signed with the Gators. Can you take us through that process and how you ultimately ended up at Florida? Oh, my God. Uh, the funny thing is Coach Grantham was at Louisville the time that I committed. That's right. So, uh, so you know, you know, talking to him, he was a great guy, real good guy, man. So that's the reason why I committed. When he went ahead and left, you know, went over to Mississippi State, that's when I went ahead and, you know, decommitted at a young age and, uh, going on into it, you know, being at home, being in that in that city of Miami, you know, why not stay home and you know, put on for your, you know, for your hometown. Mm-hmm. So you know, it, it was uh, it, uh, I went through that phase for a little bit, but then you know, taking a visit, keep coming up to Florida, you know, it was great seeing the atmosphere, being away from home, you know what I'm saying? It was, it felt great to be in this in this atmosphere, and, you know, at DBU, and you know, now that the coach, coach, coach Grantham is here, you know, it's it's all like a circle, you know, like it was meant to be. Sure, no question. You mentioned DBU, and you hear that thrown around a lot. What does that mean to you guys? Because I know fans talk about it. You guys talk about it as well. How important is it <laughs> to, to carry that legacy? You got to carry it on. You got to carry it on. This is DB that play here, man. Vernon Hargrave, Joe Hayden, Quincy Wilson, uh, Tease Tabor. You know, those guys, uh, those guys that's on the Atlanta uh, Falcons right now, you know, you got to keep that standard going because each and every Saturday they'll be watching us and they, they want us to be up up to that standard that they set. Now, looking back on your freshman year, what would you say was the biggest adjustment to playing at this level compared to high school? Oh, man, uh, it was a big adjustment, especially for me just coming into summer camp right away. I wasn't able to work out during that whole summer with the team, so I sat out, went back home, and I had to get you know some grades, things right. But coming into that summer, everything just jumped on me, and I was like, whoa, this is this is that real college, you know, life. And it's, you know, opening, you know, it's opening up my eyes to so much things, but I had to adjust fast and get ready to come in. So I think that's why the coaches wanted me to uh, play special teams a lot, not red shirt, but being able to come to every game, see how it is and get used to it for, uh, for, you know, the upcoming years. What was your biggest reality check moment? Was there maybe one particular time when something happened? You said, wow, I'm definitely not in high school anymore. Uh, it was my first play going against Tyree Cleveland, man. Uh, I did a, uh, my, <laughs> my technique was bad. And, you know, he took me up for a nine ball and I was like, here we go. You know, usually <laughs> in high school, <laughs> in high school, I, you know, I was, I was a long, lengthy guy when they let anything up, but I was the first guy that really, you know, he came on the line. I was talking to him, you know, getting into his head and he said, Hey, young bud, this ain't high school anymore. And, for sure, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> and given your background as a high jumper, I'm sure technique probably wasn't that important a lot of times. But now, how important has technique become on top of your natural jumping ability? Oh, man, it's, it's the next level. You got to have your technique down pack, you know, because you have different type of receivers, you know what I'm saying, that comes out there. So you'll have a fast guy, your 50 guy, guy that know how to run routes. So your technique has to be down pack. But having the length that I have and being able to jump up for certain balls, you know, it's all going to come together and I'll be able to be a lot down uh, corner. So practice is one thing, but what do you remember about the first time you got into a game and what was going through your head? Oh, my God. The first game that I got in, oh, my God, it was so exciting. I was like, oh, my God, this is a big game. My first game that I got in was was versus uh, LSU. And, you know, uh, just, it was just a big stage getting in that game. I got it late, though, late fourth quarter. But, you know, still being able to play in front of the fans and, you know, coming down the sideline and hearing, oh, good job, Brian. Even though I didn't do anything, you know, <laughs> I, uh, you know, just hearing the fans and just knowing what my ability is from the, you know, the outcome for the upcoming years. 
In your time so far, which upperclassmen have had the biggest impact on you in your career? Oh, my God. Uh, Duke, uh, Duke Dawson. You know, a corner that played last year and I'll be going into the job this year. Uh, last year, the whole summer, you know, that, that I missed, when I, once I got here, he was like, listen, little bro, I'm going to take you in. I'm going to show you the way. We're going to go ahead and work out, do a little footwork drills. And he showed me the defense, sat down with me, uh, just, you know, you know, talking to me and letting me know the standard, why it's so important to be a lockdown corner on this defense. When you lose guys like that, when they go to the NFL, where do you then turn for guidance and leadership? Uh, right now, you know, losing those type of guys, you know, just, just looking ahead, looking to uh, Voston Joseph, uh, a guy that came from my area, not the same position, but, you know, knowing what Duke told me and knowing the things I could continue to do that he taught me, you know, just looking towards him just to help, you know, things I may go through because, you know, we all have our ups and downs. So I know each day that I have, I'm down, I know that Voston here come to me and let me know, hey, little bro, you know, keep your head up, let's go. Go, uh, go to the next play or here's the way that, you know what I'm saying, to get through that thing that you're struggling with. You mentioned some of the Gators from the past at corner that have starred and gone on to the next level. I'm curious what other NFL DBs you really look up to. Oh, my God. It's a lot. Uh, I do look up to Xavier Rose, uh, Jalen Ramsey, especially being the same height as me and having that long length. Really look up to him a lot. Jalen Ramsey, though, those two guys, you know, they play their heart out. You know, I, I love Jalen Ramsey. I love the Jaguar defense, man. They're real cool. You mentioned earlier this the, the way things came full circle with Coach Grantham since you originally committed to him at Louisville. Uh, I'm curious mm -hmm. overall with, with Coach Mullen, what he's brought. You know, it's not a lot of people have two coaching staffs in two years, but what's been the difference you've seen so far with Coach Mullen and, and what he's done for the program? Oh, my God. Coach Mullins, man, he's he's all about the football and, and just and just, just letting us know to learn those situations. So when game day come, we, you know, we're prepared and we're, and we know what to do in those certain situations. Of course, grab the man coming in and setting a, a great defense, an NFL defense that, you know, that we'll be learning right now. And that, you know, we'll be used to if, if anyone on the team gets lucky to go ahead and go to that next level that they'll be ready. So yeah, it's great, man. It's some great guys, great staff, great coaches. I talked to TJ Slayton about that last week and he, he mentioned specifically all the NFL experience with his coaching staff and how meaningful it is to the players. What do you take from that? How much credibility do these guys have because of some of the players they've coached? Oh, a lot of credibility because they know what they're talking about. So, you know, most of the time that we'll make a mistake on the field, they'll come to us, correct it, and we'll go back next series and make the play. So, you know, these guys know what they're talking about, especially, you know, coaching those NFL guys and having that experience in the NFL. You, you, I mean, you got to listen to them. You got to listen to them, especially if you really want to go to that next level. You know, most coaching staffs have one DB's coach, but now the way the new staff is broken down, there's a corners coach and there's a safeties coach. What has that dynamic been like so far in spring practice? Oh, it's cool. Even though it's two coaches, you know, they still help us out. So even though, like, during the, during the series, uh, you know, the safety coach, Coach English, he'll be like, you know, Brian, uh, you know, you're supposed to make that play. And I'm like, yes, Coach, you know, he'll correct me. So even though it's two two coaches, you know, it's, even though it's one corner, one safety, they'll still help out each other on, on both sides, either safety or corner. But, you know, individually, they, they, they really help us fundamentally. And in the meeting room, they really let us know what we need to do and get it down pat. So you originally hail from Hollywood, Hollywood, Florida, not the other Hollywood. I'm curious, mm -hmm. what are the biggest differences between <laughs> Gainesville and uh, and your hometown down in South Florida? Uh, growing down south, I grew up in Miramar. I know it's in Hollywood, but I grew up in Miramar, Florida. I started at the Miramar High School, but I was down there, and uh, man, it's just a small city, a small city that you know you see a lot. 
being being through a lot, but that that one thing you want to do is make it out and come back and feed your feed your hometown. You know what I'm saying? Especially growing up with a, a group of guys. Uh, Keen Roach right now, he's at Louisville. I grew up with him close to Sidney McLeod. Uh, he's out at Northwood. You know, just growing up with those guys, working out every every day, and seeing the vision that we had. You know, we really want to open up a business one day called Million Dollar Kid. So he's there. Yeah, he's there. I posted on my on my um on my Instagram or Twitter, and you know, making shirts and everything like that. Just letting uh, younger kids know that grew up in our area that. Don't settle. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot that you get done out here. You know, if you had that million-dollar visit, you could accomplish it. Well, I know you're not technically from Hollywood, but that leads to my next couple questions. So we're going to pretend mm-hmm. you're Hollywood anyway. And I'm going to ask you, <laughs> if there were a movie made about your life, who would play you and some of the key people around you? Ooh! That, that's a hard right there. <laughs> uh, we have to do some... Uh, not to do, uh, you know, a little, uh, you know, a little tryout, you know what I'm saying? See the different type of people that come in and, you know, see which one I want to pick for that one. A lot of people say like Will Smith, they want Denzel. Maybe now it's like maybe Michael B. Jordan's the answer, you know? It's it's different time now. Oh, yeah, it is a different time. So that would be cool to have Jordan as my, as, as B, you know what I'm saying? It will be real cool. But, you know, just having a guy that's, that's dedicated and uh, that been through a lot, uh, been, uh, you know, being on his mom's side and, you know, just uh, being with that group of kids, you know, that really wanted it, really wanted it, grinding every day, went to school and, you know, made sure he was in, involved in anything that he could be in, involved in, you know, whether it's try helping the community out. I wasn't a cap league back at home just to, you know, get in and, you know, do uh, some community service hours. So, yeah, that would be a good role to play yeah. for a movie. <laughs> there's, there's a lot to that story. Um, yeah, for sure. All right, so here's my question for you. Which member of DBU would be most likely to move out to Hollywood and give up football to start acting. Ooh. Who's the most uh, Hollywood of the group? Oh, uh, Hollywood. You could say, uh, you could see uh, Trey, Trey D. That <laughs> was so Hollywood, man. <laughs> you could be an actor one day. I always tell it every day. You could be an actor, man. You could play one of the, the, the top movies coming out this year, 2018. <laughs> <laughs> All right, final question for you. I'll bring things back to football. Uh, All right, cool. This weekend is the Orange and Blue game, and I'm curious, what are the expectations? Because, you know, a lot of people are looking at the offense, and that's what people are talking about. But for mm-hmm. you and your and your guys, what are you looking to accomplish this weekend? Oh, just having fun, having fun flying around, showing the people that we, we're not taking a step back. You know, last year was a rough time for us. You know, we went through a lot, but this year getting everything everything together and having a lot of group of uh, guys that's talented and that could do a lot this year and take us far. So I just really want that uh, a lot of people to see that this weekend and see, you know, not only just having fun, but see the uh, talent that we have and that we're going to go big this year. Well, Brian, I've heard that you always have a smile on your face no matter what. And I think people <laughs> people can certainly tell that from uh, from listening to you on, on our podcast. So we thank you so much for your time, and we wish you a lot of luck. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. The Orange and Blue game presented by Sunnyland kicks off at 3 on Saturday. And if you can't be part of the effort to pack the swamp, you can watch live on the SCC Network and listen on the Gator IMG Sports Network. In case you missed it, our special edition number 123 with defensive coordinator Todd Grantham is available now. And we'll be back next week with a new show recapping the spring game. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you in the swamp.